Okay, good morning, everybody. Uh, as Andrea says, I'm Andy, and uh, you have the delight of me sharing with you this morning. And I'm sure as you woke this morning, you too took a moment to reflect and just to, to take, take time and, and think back 51 years to England lifting the World Cup on this glorious day. I'm sure you all did that. All right, moving on. So, uh, just me. No, so... <laughs> they think it is all over. Yeah. <laughs> Will be soon, don't worry. Uh, so 2017, 2017, and the summer of 2017 has been uh, very much a summer of change, changeable weather, uh, not getting much change out of the Euro, that's for sure. Uh, but also changing times in terms of our heroes, our idols as well. Um, very much in our house, looking at the transfer dealings in the, in the Premier League and expensive changes, lots of millions of pounds, Players returning to their boyhood teams, Wayne Rooney. Uh, millions spent on players amidst the austerity and cuts everywhere else. There just seems to be monopoly money getting thrown around buying players. World record swimming changes every single day. Every time uh, your man Adam Peaty gets in the pool, seems to break a world record, which is amazing. There's lots of different changes. Changes too in the world of sci-fi, Wonder Woman. She's led where both Superman and Batman have, have faltered. Doctor Who, there's a change. Doctor Who uh, is going to become Doctor Who S. Uh, earth shattering, thank you. Earth shattering changes for some Whovians. Uh, I heard a phone in on the radio, and the guy was like, oh, it definitely can't be. It can't be a woman because it's a Time Lord. It can't have a woman as a Time Lord. Anyway, uh, that wasn't me. So, Time Lords. <coughs> Changes uh, changes have offered individuals their own 15 minutes of fame, as Andy Warhol very famously said. Getting you 15 minutes of fame uh, from the unknown to the known. This summer has seen Love Island and Big Brother be two of the biggest hits on TV, creating celebrities, use that term loosely, uh, of everyday people. Uh, and the, the celebrity focus in tabloid newspapers is on these people, but then, you know, within a week, it'll be on somebody else. The times move very, very quickly. So whether this culture of heroes is sporting, sci-fi, or celebrity, or whatever else, they're often portrayed as being infallible, untouchable, or they're put on some kind of pedestal for the world to idolize. Changes in who is in or not in are deemed by the sort of fast-paced, media-fueled culture that that surrounds us everywhere we go, everywhere we look, on your tablets, on your phones, whatever happens, there's always a, an advert for something else, and look at this guy, this new film, this new TV show, lots of things. Culture dictates so much of, of what we see around us in our everyday, and in reality, but also in how we live our digital lives, as I've said. Instabook, twice, fi twi twi face, I nearly said that wrong. Twitter, Facebook, all these kind of things. Life is not straightforward for us. And culture can condition us into apathy when it comes to what or who is important in our lives. We can become so absorbed in what's going on around us. It can, it can take over what should really be important to us. It can condition us to see success as being a personal fulfillment or a personal gain or, or having this. If your life will be better if you just invest in this. This is opposite to the kingdom culture that, that we're about. This is a culture that transcends the culture of the world, trusting in God's promises that his will will be done and that his kingdom will come. 
We're going to look this morning at a culture where idolatry was rife. Gossip was the norm. Statues were worshipped. And uh, we're going to see how the unknown of the kingdom became known. That's not a 21st century thing. We're going to look back at 1st century Athens. And it's in Acts 17. If you have a Bible app or you want to look it up, please feel free. It should come up on the screen as well. So it's Acts 17. The background to this, if you don't know, is that Paul has traveled through Thessalonica and Berra with Silas and Timothy. So he's been with them. They've gone their separate ways, and he arrives in Athens. Paul arrives in Athens, and that's where we begin the passage in Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, the sort of town council where they said to him, may we, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And in this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in the temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed time in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. So Paul has very much had a complete turnaround. He's now a very, very accomplished soapbox preacher. He's preaching to different people in different places. An expert at getting the message of Jesus across into cultures that didn't know anything about him. Remember, he's traveled through different countries, different lands, different nations, different people, different experiences, different cultures. But he's accomplished at what he does in in sharing Jesus. The gospel was entirely new to some Greek thinkers that Paul speaks to, so much so that they describe what he's saying as being strange. 
It's unknown. It's misunderstood. It's confused. This is also the case in our culture as well. It's not just in the culture then. It's also the same in our culture now. The Athenians were obsessed with their idols, verse 16. They were greatly distressed to see that the city, Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. They're also obsessed with gossip, meeting together socially and talking about new ideas. Verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So first century Athens, can we read 21st century Western society? Paul uses this as his inroad to share the gospel. Idol worship, celebrities, sports stars, whoever, meeting up with our friends socially to discuss latest news, latest ideas, gossip, or as some people call it, Christian concern for our brothers and sisters. Maybe. I've coined that phrase. Uh, <coughs> the world culture that we live in can warp our perspective of living for, for the kingdom. What or who do we idolize or hero worship? Do our heroes and idols prove themselves as worthy role models, the ones that we look up to, the ones that are in constantly in our face every day whenever you turn on your phone or turn on your tablet or whatever, or the news? Few modern-day public eye personas manage to live scandal-free or to stay scandal-free. Embarrassing slip-ups. Is the next slide there? Yeah. Remember that scene? In one of the Naked Gun films, Frank Drebens is a big address to a big crowd of people, but he leaves his microphone on and goes to the bathroom. Do you remember that scene? No? No one else watched that film? Embarrassing slip-ups. It's very funny. I'll not divulge anything else about that scene. It's very funny, though. Uh, fake news. You heard that phrase? It's rife, apparently. It's everywhere, allegedly. Uh, Match-fixing, uh, celebrities, cheating, football stars, presidential lunacy every day. Political careers can be ruined by just one simple private conversation that becomes public. Some public idols have had their falls from grace covered uh, by the media in unforgettable ways. I'm sure if you think back, I think about seven years, I think it was the 2010 election, Gordon Brown became embroiled in an election scandal because of a few careless words that he said in the privacy of his chauffeur-driven car. He'd been meeting and greeting in Rochdale, when he made the blunder, uh, after speaking to Gillian Duffy, there he is there, speaking to Gillian, uh, in a very public place, the media just seemed to be there, and he seemed to be getting a, a hammer in from Gillian, and he got in the car, and, uh, and he called her a bigot. The, the, the quote is this, this is my best Kirkcaldy accent. Oh, that was a good disaster. Well, they should have never put me with that woman. Whose idea was that? It's just ridiculous. It's kind of Sean Connery-like, isn't it? It's very good. Asked, asked, asked what she said by his uh, PA or whoever it was. He's heard to reply, oh, everything. Oh, she's just the sort of bigoted woman that said she used to be a liver. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I don't know why she brought her up towards me. Sue, Sue brought her up towards me. Sue, whoever Sue was, I'm sure she got the sack that day or the next day. So he was just, he was, he was livid. He was livid, but it had been recorded. I think he then went on a radio show where they, without him knowing, they played it back to him. And I think that uh, memory serves this footage of him just putting his head in his hands. He couldn't, he couldn't even come to an answer. The press had a field day with this, and it was a major turning point in the tide of that election. The media absolutely love it when public figures 
get caught off guard. Gordon's microphone was still on, and the comments were reported to Mrs. Duffy. He returned later that day to apologize for his comments, uh, and there had been a misunderstanding on his part. A private conversation proved his undoing. Often our words do reveal the true nature of what's going on beneath this toothy grin or a, a baby-cuddling election campaign or a smile or a conversation. Our words can, can show what's really going on. Words and actions don't match up to the public persona. Everyone gets let down. Another one from a number of years ago, uh, very famous, probably the most famous golfer that's ever lived, Tiger Woods. And uh, Billy Payne is the guy who is the president of the Augusta National Golf Club. And this was just before the 2009 Masters when everything in Tiger Woods' world began to unravel around him. Billy Payne said this about him, about Tiger Woods' spectacular fall from grace. He forgot that fame and fortune comes with responsibility, not invisibility. He disappointed all of us, our kids and our grandkids. Our hero did not live up to our expectations. This has to be one of the biggest falls from grace, certainly in a sporting world that has ever happened. The genius golfer with an amazing natural ability, multiple major winner, married to a Scandinavian model. They have two children, sponsorship deals galore. He earned more money in one year from Nike, Nike, than the entire Nike Corporation of Workers in India that year. And yet, he wanted more. He, he craved more. He wanted more. More women, more satisfaction, more control, more money. Whatever it was, the responsibility of being a global superstar, as he says, and living the dream was all too much. Our hero did not live up to our expectations. Isn't that always the case? Usually the case? thing is, whoever... Whichever idol or hero that we choose or whoever we are told is the next big thing will equally be the next big fall from grace. They'll never be perfect because none of us are perfect. Christina Aguilera's song from a number of years ago, a uh, song Beautiful, says it's words that, that bring us down. How often is that the case? Yet also, on the other hand, it's words that build us up again. It's words that can show a kingdom culture in the culture of self, in the culture of wealth, in the culture of being famous for those 15 minutes. The words Paul uses in Athens are chosen brilliantly. He, he has a real insight in this. He challenges the Athenians about their idols and, in, and their statues. And he recognizes that in the Areopagus, he's dealing with people who've never heard about Jesus before. But they're religious. And they don't have a problem in believing that God exists. Paul uses what they know rather than what they don't know. He makes the unknown known. For us to carry the kingdom into the culture around us, we have to start with the basics. It would be pointless going and sharing that Jesus died for someone's sins if A, they don't know who Jesus is, B, they don't know what sin is, and C, they certainly don't know why Jesus dying for their sins would make a difference to them. Connect with what they know. Paul does that in Athens. He uses words that they'll understand. He builds community. He introduces the kingdom culture through living it out. Let us be kingdom carriers and carry his presence in our words, in our conversations, in our attitudes, and in our whole selves. 
the Athenians have statues to the unknown God. And Paul tells them that God is not unknown, but that he is known and that we, you can know, we can know him. Verse 23, now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul expands on this explanation of God in verse 24, and he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Everything Paul says is done with words that are sensitive and in a way that all those who are listening, whether it's in the synagogue, in the marketplace, in the Areopagus, it doesn't matter where he's doing it and who he's speaking to. He does it in a way that's relevant to those situations. He does it in ways that they can understand. He does it in ways that allow the kingdom to be seen. He tells them that these idols and unknown gods are not who they should worship and live for, but that there is a God who's real, is alive, and that they can know him through the person of Jesus Christ. Paul's teaching is radical, yet it's completely culturally relevant. He's direct, but yet he's completely graceful in how he does it. He states clearly that there's more to what they know and that the unknown can become known. None of the idols or heroes or celebrity that we have in, in modern culture, none, none of them are faultless. None live up to the expectations that are set. But Jesus Christ stands out in all of history as the one man who could never be caught out by a rogue microphone, a tabloid scandal, a fall from grace. In fact, you know what? His life was spent with the people who were being ostracized by society. He went and spent time with them. He witnessed in that way. His inner life matched up to his public life. When his life came under scrutiny in the lead up to the, the crucifixion and the, the investigation into Jesus' life by Pilate, the verdict was, I find no basis for a charge against him. There was nothing. The best of the best investigators could find nothing, no charge against him. Only Jesus is unique. He's the only one who constantly and consistently lived up to our expectations. He's the only one that we can depend on. His words are backed up by his life. And the only scandalous thing about him is that he will take our place on the cross and receive the punishment for every careless action, every careless word, every slip of the tongue and thought that we have. Paul carries the kingdom into Athens, as we read in Acts 17. By Paul's words, by his conversations, by his attitude, by his whole self, he carries it into that place, into the community, into the culture. It's not wrong to have heroes. Don't get me wrong on this. It's not wrong to have heroes, people we admire, people we respect, people we should, we look up to. But, Let's put them firmly in their place behind Jesus. If we're to be kingdom carriers, we need to know what our focus is on. If we're not focused on that, we're not going to be going in the right direction. Do we live our lives to, to fit in with the, the culture of the world around us? Do we live in a kingdom culture which makes Jesus known through our words, through our conversations, and by our whole self? Or do we live in a culture that says we have to like everything? We have to put a wee thumbs up on everything. Or do we actually think, you know what? Let's be kingdom carriers. Let's carry the kingdom out here. Let his will be done. Because when we know him and he is known to us, we, can, we know that we are loved by him. 
And when we are known, then we can make the unknown known to those that are yet to know him. When we think of Paul and everything he does in Athens, it is very similar to, to now. It is very 21st century, the things I've outlined. The challenge this morning as we, as we come to close, we make him up so good. When we come to, to a close on this, I want us to think, and I just feel God saying, you know what, what are the things that, what are the things that come before Jesus in our lives? What are the things that we put first? What are the things that, that maybe misguide our focus on what it is to, to live for him and to make him known through everything we do? Not just here on a Sunday, but in every, in every conversation, in every act, in every friendship, in every relationship. Do we show the kingdom?